0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about deep fakes. There's some videos going around of Tom Cruise right now that are unbelievably realistic, but they're not him, which leads you to not have to stretch your imagination too far to realize how this could be abused and cause real, real life problems. We'll talk about that one. There is a property for sale for $1 in Hamilton, $1. We'll talk to the realtor behind that and what the thought there is. And Mark Hebsher joins us to talk about Blue Jays Radio, which really isn't Blue Jays Radio for the first time ever this year. Changes have happened, and now you're just going to see TV on the radio. Is that going to work? We'll talk about it. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I saw a video or a series of videos online in the last day or two. Uh, They've been up. I don't know how long they've been up for, but I just came across them. And they are of Tom Cruise doing magic and talking and, you know, doing Tom Cruise y kind of stuff, you know, the Tom Cruise crazy laugh and all the rest. Here's the thing though it's not Tom Cruise. It is a deep fake, it is a made up scam video. It's not him, even though it's clearly him, or it's clearly him, even though it's not him, however you want to word it. It is, though, seamless. In fact, I'm almost waiting for the announcement to come out that Tom Cruise was joking with us the whole time, and it really was him, and then he only said it was a deep fake. It's that realistic. If you didn't know otherwise, you would see this and never for one second question that this was Tom Cruise's face. Now, that's kind of fun, I suppose, that technology, but it takes about four seconds if you stop and think to realize the potential problems with this kind of technology if people apply it in the wrong way. Aviv Ovadya is with the Thought Technology Project out of San Francisco. He's an expert in deepfake technology and all kinds of other elements of the information ecosystem. He joins us now. Aviv, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Hi, great great to be on um, the, before we get into the problems or the uses or whatever else of deepfake technology, very quickly, how does this, I mean, it's it's a computer program that has been built, but how does it work? I mean, is it possible to even explain that in a simple Reader's Digest way, or is it just way too complicated?
1: Well, there's sort of two things going on here. One of them is this sort of like point and click, like sort of like uh, Instagram filter level deepfake technology. And the other is sort of like movie CGI technology. Um, And the the interesting thing about the Tom Cruise deepfakes is at least some of them are not just using this like download an app and do a deepfake. It's someone had to actually do the same sorts of things that you need to do in a movie studio on top of that to make it look real. Well, and I read
0: uh, in the last little while as I was getting ready to talk to you, I read that artificial intelligence, that this kind of, stuff, the artificial intelligence and the deep fake technology and everything else was once sort of in the hands of universities and researchers and that this was created there. I don't know if that's accurate, but assuming it was, um, what was the the initial plan for this? Was this just a Hollywood CGI thing that this was created for? Or was there some really good purpose that this was made for?
1: So there are a number of like valuable purposes for this type of technology. So you can imagine, um, uh, you want to speak to someone in a different language. But well, wouldn't it be great if you could translate their voice and their lips and their like their expressions and everything, or their expressions should hopefully mostly stay the same. Um, but but definitely the, the way their lips move um, uh, into the into this other language, right? So that's one application. Another one is um, uh, for like accessibility. Uh, there are ways in which like if you you could have something where someone can't hear but they can then see a visual of someone sort of mm. doing whatever, right? So there's, there's a whole swath of things like that. And then there's like, let's say you want to make an autonomous car. Well, it's useful to, be able to simulate what it would be like to actually be in like a real world. And so again, you want to sort of deep fake a world in some sense that you can simulate that's as realistic as possible. And there's like caveats to all these things I can go into. But at a very high level, there are these other applications beyond just entertainment, in addition to the benefits that entertainment has. Um, Or like creativity might have um, when applied. But that doesn't mean there also aren't these really significant dangers that we need to deal with.
0: Well, and one other one that I heard today that I thought was fascinating, I don't know if I like the idea or if it's really creepy, but somebody suggested we can now, if you have a relative who's passed away, we can essentially reanimate them and bring them back to life so you could see your grandfather or parent or child or whatever Come to life again. I, again, there's a, there's a bit of a creepy aspect, but I can see how some people would find that comforting in some way. So there are applications, obviously.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's really fascinating just to see these photos from the 1800s that are now being brought back to life. I mean, it's like going into Harry Potter, and you know, and you can imagine in the future you could also take in all everything that person has written, all of their letters, and you know, combine that with just every piece of information about the person and just simulate sort of like the, those those little pictures in in, uh, in Harry Potter where you're talking to Dumbledore and he's already dead. Sorry, Dumbledore is fine. Like, don't worry about that if you have read <laughs> But no, but it's, it is it is a,
0: it, it, I mean, if I was in history class in, in school, now I love history now, but when I was in high school, I was less enthusiastic about it, and I think a lot of it had to do with the teaching. If you suddenly have computer technology where stuff you're learning about comes to life as opposed to having a teacher ramble on at the front of the classroom and write stuff on a board, you know, and, and that's just one example. Again, like th- there are tons, and I get that there are tons of very um, usable and, and positive applications for this. You really could use, well, like anything else, I suppose, right? I mean, you can use it for good or for bad if you want, but there are positive applications. It's not just something that should be scary.
1: Right, yeah. I think that that's true, but it also is something that we need to be very, it's, it's like any sort of, like, extremely empowering thing. Like, that power can be used in many cases for both good and evil, and if we're not actually paying attention and really actively working to ensure that it's being used for good, then... Like, it turns out that money sort of can flow toward evil, and that might be the primary use that you're Uh, going to... You can imagine that in, in so many ways.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know, one of the things, people tend to not be trusting necessarily of all the media these days, and so the one place that they seem to be willing to believe is things they see with their own eyes. But what happens when that thing... The last stand of where I will take my believable information from is no longer believable. What happens?
1: Yeah, well, I think that that isn't quite even like the right way to think about it. Because um, when you look at something, there's all this other um, context that it's within. And so you don't want to be looking, oh, is this thing looking real? Is this thing looking safe? You want to be looking at what is the context where I'm seeing this? Like, where did it come from? When was it actually created? Um, like, what are other people who, who I actually trust saying about that? People who can actually do verification? Because as an ordinary person, you're just not, you don't have the tools to determine that. But you need to identify what are the real trusted sources. Um, and that, that can really help people navigate, uh, like, whether or not something is, is real or fake. And actually, I've been working, or I've, I've at least communicated a bunch of a, a Canadian organization, which does some really good work in this space, which you should definitely have on. Um, uh, civics, um, and they, they like, help youth all over Canada, and I think people of all ages, too, to some extent, sort of really help navigate both like deep fakes, but also much much more broadly, like how to make sense of what you're seeing online and offline. Um, and, and, it's, and it's really, really good material, much better than I can tell you in, in two minutes on, on the air. But, and I, look,
0: your point is well taken, for sure, and it, those who wish to try to find out if what they're looking at is true or not, I I do believe we'll be able to find that out still. But, uh, you know, I don't want to say we're lazy these days, but I think we see stuff on our Twitter feed, our Instagram feed, and more often than not, it seems we're willing to accept what we see without doing a deep dive into whether it's real, not just with these, with any kind of information. Look at all the scams and fake news and everything else. This stuff can clearly has the potential to cause all kinds of problems with what you can or not, what you can believe or what you won't believe anymore.
1: Yeah, I think that is true. Um, Though some studies have shown that if you just remind people, just ask people, do you care if what you see on social media is accurate? People start actually being more thoughtful about what they're sharing. So there is like, as long as you actually decide to do that, and as long, especially if the platforms themselves encourage you to do that, people aren't, like people do care about knowing what's real and what's not. Uh, it's just, they're not necessarily primed. They're not, they don't remember that that's a thing that they value in themselves. And so you just being reminded of that can actually make a really big difference.
0: The, now we, we may or may not up here in Canada be having an election this summer. We're not sure yet a federal election. It could be, it could be sometime later than that, but the potential here too, for a deep fake, now it hasn't happened yet that I know of, but for you know, to, to to have a politician say something that they never said, you know, again, um, probably it can be undone, maybe. But if you are inclined to believe negatively about a politician anyway, seeing them, seeing them, we, and I'm doing air quotes around seeing, seeing them say something horrible, is that not only going to reinforce this? Can this could affect elections? This could affect a lot of things.
1: Yeah, I mean that that definitely is a, a real concern, and it's. Um, and it's something that actually has had real impacts, especially. Um, I mean, there's it, been some impacts in, in Brazil and in Malaysia um, for elected figures, um, and it's it is a real risk. Um, and I think there's a lot of work that you know me and other people in, in my space have been doing to, to try to push some of the mitigations that we can do to help actually help minimize the extent to which that's likely. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that we are we are there yet. Um, I do think that there's we're much farther along than we were like two years ago. Um, but, you know, election tomorrow, someone really actively trying to use this technology to manipulate people, there are real risks.
0: And it's not just politics, obviously. Uh, there was something I was reading today that pointed out that there is a huge concern right now with people using deep fake technology to make porn but putting either celebrities or other people's faces there so that, and, and who can, I mean, who can tell the difference? They're probably not looking at the face, I suppose, if you're if you're watching that. But the problem is very clearly you can destroy somebody potentially with this kind of technology. Again, doesn't mean it's always going to be, but in the wrong hands with the wrong intent, you could destroy people.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest like actual use right now for deepfake videos in terms of like direct harms to people is basically around silencing women. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just, there was one of the, the main critiques of, um, of a government uh, was like a journalist was basically like a deepfake of her, explicit an explicit deepfake was shared very broadly. And like the goal was to really like shut her down. Um, and that's, that's, a real, that's a real risk. I mean, in the long run, actually, I actually mean, this is already happening to some extent is you're also gonna see with deepfake audio, you know, being used for scams um like that's a real thing and as it becomes more available um you're going to see many many more negative uses.
0: yeah i mean we have to be very very aware and cautious and i mean this is this is the challenge we got to run unfortunately but it was once nice that if you saw it you could believe it now you can still maybe believe it but you at least have to do some more work and we'll see how many people are willing to do that work but uh, you know Really appreciate the time though. This is, this is such a complicated one and such a tricky one and such a, a fraught with problems topic that uh, appreciate you helping us navigate this. Aviv Ovadia from the Thought Technology Project. You can find his website online uh, if, you up, aviv, if you want to look him up. Aviv, A-V-I-V dot M-E if you want to look him up. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Hamilton's real estate market, as you know, as you know, is goofy right now. We've talked about this on the show. You've heard it on Bill's show. You've heard it on Scott Thompson's show. Hamilton's real estate market is in a place that I don't think it's ever been before. The average house price is now in the $650,000 range. Very often you're having bidding wars. Homes are selling for well over asking price often. That's not a rarity anymore. So It does catch people a little bit off guard and make their eyebrows cock up a little bit when they see a listing for a lot in a primo location right across the street from the West Harbor Go Station. I mean, this is not out in the boonies somewhere. This is a primo location. And in real estate, of course, it's location, location, location. They see this lot with an asking price of $1.00. And frankly, I'm surprised there have not been injuries in the stampede to check the place out. For a dollar, I kind of expected every single Hamiltonian to want to go and look at this. Now, what's it all about? Let me bring in Sam Hall. He is the real estate agent who is representing this properties with Colliers International. He joins me now. Sam, how are you tonight?
2: I'm good, Scott. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, thank you. So $1, I'm guessing that in the end, this property is not going to sell for $1,
2: <laughs> no, I mean, uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's, it's an absolute pleasure and I'm happy to be here and, um, you know, discuss the project at 41 Stewart Street. So, you know, to give you some background, we launched this listing two weeks ago and, you know, the unpriced strategy is something that we use a lot in the Toronto market. And, you know, we, we thought that You know, with everything going on in the market and, you know, it it being a a seller's market in the sense that, you know, there's a a very deep buyer pool for all kinds of asset classes in Hamilton, um, specifically residential redevelopment sites. We thought we'd put it out at one dollar or on price to help create a competitive environment, um, you know, to to drive value and, and let the market speak um so we've had this listed for a few weeks i think i've had about i want to say 200 inquiries for information um so you know a, a ton of interest and we've set a no offer before date of next wednesday so you know i think the the proof will be in the pudding and we'll see what the turnout is like next week but yeah as you said a tremendous amount of interest and um yeah excited to be a part of this project
0: is the, is the goal of the strategy? Cause we've had it here rarely before. I mean, it's been done in Hamilton, uh, even in residential, but not very often. You say it's often in Toronto, not as often around here is the goal, as you say, just to not put a cap on what the upper limit would be, or is it also to draw attention because $1 is going to get people's attention?
2: Yeah. Look, look, to be honest with you, the original strategy was just to, to not limit any pricing upside, um, but, you know, it's 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 been incredible, the amount of interest and inquiries and calls I've been getting. I mean, um, I don't think we could have predicted this. And I think it's only a good thing. So, um, you know, I, I think the reality when it comes to residential developers, whether they're in Toronto or Hamilton, it's that they're very sophisticated. And when we run these listings, we like to to hear what the market has to say. So I think on our, our offer date next week, I'm optimistic that we'll have a number of offers and I think we'll have different kind of buyer profiles. I think we'll see, you know, guys that are all cash or guys or gals that are all cash. Um, we'll have some groups that will be requesting vendor financing. We'll have, um, you know, the condo developers. I think we'll also have some purpose built rental buyers. So um, I think, that's another strategy that we like to employ we like to just kind of leave the terms flexible and you know in a way let these sophisticated developers assist us in in their vision and you know how they're going to buy this site and
0: make it happen but when someone calls up because you say you've got 200 i can't believe you're going to get 200 i can't believe all 200 are legitimately interested or in a position to do this nonetheless you get 200 calls what kind of questions do you get from them
2: yeah, so I think that's a good point. I, I think a lot of them are, you, you know, I apprehensive <laughs> to use this term, but, I mean, I'm sure you get a few tire kickers. Um, but there are certainly a lot of qualified groups. But, you know, you get a lot of people that, to your point, are just curious about, you know, what the story is. Um, so, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll see what happens.
0: Uh, And I mean, are are there people, have you had a call yet from someone who says, is the price really a dollar as in, I want to get in at the low price here thinking that it's going to be super, super cheap?
2: Uh, No, no, I haven't. I haven't, believe it or not. And, you know, in in terms of the feedback, I mean, you know, you, you, you obviously get groups. Like when you have a property that's unpriced, I think you have to provide some kind of pricing guidance. I mean, you, you have to at least provide a, a high-level structure as to, you know, what kind of deal and what kind of offer you want to see. Um, so, you know, we do provide that information to people. And, you know, how we set this up is we actually we use an online data room where we compile all of the due diligence reports, such as environmentals, planning studies, uh, geotechnical reports. Um, and people can access that information when they execute a confidentiality agreement. Um, so we work with groups. So generally the stages of inquiries that, you know, you'll, you'll get someone calling me or emailing me. And then when they realize that, you know, this is, um, a residential redevelopment project that's going to require a fair bit of expertise and capital, because I think, you know, the reality of these redevelopment projects is that the land cost is, is not the biggest expenditure. You know, if you look at construction costs, if you're anywhere from, yeah, you know, with, Say you're $300 a foot, I mean, this could be a $30 million project just based on construction. You're listening to
0: the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've seen this occasionally, as I say, around here with houses, with residential, very rarely, but we've seen it a few times. A little more often with industrial, is this something that works better with industrial or commercial because you've got corporations or developers jumping in or, or does it work just as well with residential because you get all the eyeballs and get all the attention?
2: Yeah. Like I, I think that, you know, residential, like I think a residential redevelopment site um, is in a different category than just residential or single family homes. You know, it's, it's a different buyer profile. It's, it's a professional investor or builder for the most part. And I think, um, you know, in terms of industrial product, I mean, the the industrial market seems to be completely immune to COVID. I mean, um, you know, it's incredible how resilient all asset classes have been, you know, with the exception of, of, you know, obviously office leasing with people working at home and retail leasing. Um, But I I think that, you know, employing a a bid date or no offer before unpriced listing strategy on an industrial asset Um, you know, we see it in the Toronto market, um, fairly commonly now, especially in an environment where, um, if it's an industrial asset that is being targeted to a user, I think you want to, you know, you don't want to limit that upside. So I think that it's something, again, we see in Toronto and I'm not as familiar with the Hamilton industrial market, but from, from what I hear, and I like to
0: keep my ear to the
2: ground, I think it's. It's also a market that's very strong, and I'm I'm sure that's something that that you'll see out there, Scott. Uh, th-
0: this property, as I understand it, has been sitting available for a while. It's not been used for a little while now. W- why now to sell? And I mean, with whether with this strategy or otherwise, is is the market just so hot that this is the time to jump in?
2: Yeah. Well, it, it, the the market is hot, but it's also. Um, the, The vendor, the current owner, acquired this site a few years ago, and he's done an excellent job of rezoning the property. So the the site has entitlements in place in the form of 10 stories, 76 units, and about 95,000 square feet of gross floor area. So the owner has has done a lot of the, the legwork and the sweat equity as far as getting this thing approved. Um, we haven't gotten to the stage of a site plan approval and the reason for that is that you want to leave some flexibility um, so a prospective purchaser could tweak the application you know I, I think if you get 10 developers looking at this thing they'll slice it up 10 different ways so we wanted to leave a bit of flexibility because once your site plan approved it's fairly set in stone so so that's the strategy with the rezoning and and the building's vacant. Um, you know, one of the challenges for redevelopment sites that we see in Toronto and Hamilton is that if a property is encumbered with a lease, it can negatively affect the value. Um, you know, I, I think if, if it has a lease term of anything above a couple years, um a prospective developer would would view that as negative
0: um, in terms of what they can pay
2: just due to you know not being able to predict the future and and the timeline challenges that that creates
0: uh Sam we got time for, oh, just one more thing um yeah. <laughs> last year the average house price in Hamilton shot up by something like 40 percent I mean it was a crazy number the condo market though lagged way behind that it was single digits and low single digits if I recall correctly uh, you and the seller and whoever decides to bid on this to develop this land must believe, I would think then, that we're ready around here in this market for condos to really take off. Would, would that be a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. And I think if you look at it from a high level, like I think condo prices in general are, are always correlated to home prices. You know, I think a lot of people, in you know, generally speaking, would prefer to buy a home. So I think as home prices go up, condo prices will be lower than home prices, but but they'll also increase. And you know I think there are a number of developments happening and um, a lot of stuff in the pipe. And I, I think that the condo prices will only continue to rise. And it might just be a situation where the the housing market's scorching hot and the condo market's just hot. <laughs>
0: It is uh, it is a very interesting strategy, as I say. We don't see it too often around here, but whenever it does happen, boy, it seems to uh, seems to get people's attention, and uh, you've done that. Sam Hall uh, with Colliers International posting a $1 asking price for a property right across from the West Harbor GO station. Sam, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Okay.
2: Thanks, Scott. Always a pleasure.
0: That is, um, I say, that that is a way, if you're going to do it, if you're going to try and get attention, uh, that is a way, and listen, the response, I wrote this in the paper, it was in today or yesterday, yesterday, the response to this is enormous. The, the, the interest right now in any kind of real estate stuff in the city, because of just how crazy the market has gone, the interest is just unbelievable. And you know, like I'll give Sam some credit. I don't, there are other agents who have said they don't like the $1 strategy that it it's a scary way to do things. It creates some questions and I think they're probably absolutely correct, but I will give him credit in this particular case. It seems to have done the trick. If you can get 200 people, a bunch of them who would presumably be developers of some kind to reach out, uh, for a property that's been not in use for some period of time, and that is going to require millions of dollars of work, It's clear that there is something to this. Now, the last time that I can recall that this was done in Hamilton, it was a house that they put up for $1 and ended up getting, I think, $290,000 for it. And that was about five years ago. You know, I I, I don't want to say that those, everyone has to sell and everyone has to move. They probably could have got double that now, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. It's just, it, it can work. And here's the best part about this. If you do this, and I don't know that a lot of agents are going to want to do this, but if you do, there's no obligation that you have to sell. So if someone comes in and says, well, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand bucks and you're thinking, no, I mean, Sam has said he wants or expects about 4 million. uh, You don't have to sell, but it is an interesting way to do it. It's an interesting strategy. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. I was thinking the other day um, that I remember, And I don't know why I remember this, but I do remember this quite vividly driving up to my grandmother's place in the Ottawa Valley back in April of 1977. We were going up for Easter. So why could I possibly remember a drive up there that many years ago when we went up many, many times, it didn't stand out? Well, I'll tell you why. Because sitting in the backseat, I was a kid, I was in the backseat of the car. I remember that we had on the radio for some reason, the first ever Blue Jays game playing. And I also remember quite vividly sitting on the floor in the basement of a friend's house in high school, listening on a portable radio as George Bell caught the fly ball that gave the Blue Jays their first ever American League East championship back in 1985, sent them to the playoffs for the very first time. It was a huge deal. My friend's TV was out or something. I don't know why we weren't watching on TV, but we weren't. We were listening on the radio. And there are many other examples that I remember as well. Because baseball and radio have been intertwined for a century, more than a century. I don't even know how far back the radio goes, but probably from almost day one, baseball was doing radio until now, sort of. The Toronto Blue Jays have recently announced that while games are still going to be on the radio, there won't be a radio team this year. No more Tom and Jerry or whoever more recently. The TV broadcasts and their TV games, they're going to simulcast the voices from that and just put it on the air. It seems like to me, when I heard that the other day, something is being lost here. Uh, Something of value is being lost here. Mark Hebsher is an author. He is a podcaster. He is a formerly a host on CHCH, and before that, he was the guy everybody tuned into at 11.30 every weeknight for Global Sportsline, which I still say was the best sports show ever on television, but that's just me. Uh, he joins us now. Mark, how are you tonight?
3: Spot, you're certainly entitled to your opinion on, uh, your opinion on this show.
0: <laughs> yeah, especially when it's good things about Sportsline. <laughs> Thanks. It was, though. I mean, before we get in, it, that was the show that all that, first of all everybody watched that show especially if you were in university but that was what i think all the shows that are now on all the sports desk aspire to be which is must see sports television just say yeah,
3: yeah. i've been getting a lot of queries lately in in that you know this is how sports media is now what was it like in your heyday and there really is a, a, it's a stark contrast and so i had posted something earlier this week an article from the Toronto Star in March of 1985 by Ken McKee, where he went over the whole realm of sports, sports casts on TV, and CHCH was actually number one in his books. It had the best sports coverage with Dick Beddoes, Paul Hendrick, uh, Fred Anderton, and Kathy Renwald. Ken wasn't in there. Not in 19. Well, not in his report in 1980. March of 1985.
0: All right. Yeah, you're right. So March 3rd. 31- uh, yeah.
3: Now, Ken might Ken, again. Ken might have been doing some reporting then that maybe wasn't included. <clears throat> I noticed he had made a couple of other mistakes in that article. He misspelled Jerry Dobson's name. But if you look back and you see what a profound effect the, uh, and how important the sports cast and the sports personalities were in those days, compared to now, where they're taking the best ones. And they're going to start to squeeze them, like Dan Schulman. They're going to take a phenomenal talent, and they're going to squeeze them, try to squeeze them into this hybrid. You're doing both mediums now. Go off, you go.
0: Yeah. That's and by the game, way, to, real, to real that game. article, to that article which I just pulled up here, which you posted. Not, and we'll get to the baseball stuff. Not only how many networks and TV stations in the greater Toronto area were doing big time sports then, but the numbers of people now, most places might have one everywhere had four or even more than that. And some of the names that people will remember, I mean, you and Jim Taddy were at global along with bill bird and Andrea Carmen. And, you know, there was after that though, I mean, there was just so many people that came through there. Anyway, it's a, uh, it is a different time, but different time also describes this move that Rogers has decided to do where they are now going to, simply play the tv audio onto the radio and you know uh, mark i i know that it's something it's still going to be there but radio doing radio doing baseball on radio it just seems like it's different than anything else and i i, I can't imagine that it's going to feel the same and dan shulman by the way is fantastic if anybody can do it he can but I can't imagine it can possibly feel the same—the pace and the rhythm and all the rest of just sitting there on a summer day listening to baseball if it's called for radio.
3: Yeah, I think that you put you you put Dan in a very difficult position. You put Dan in a position where head, and I don't know his contractual status with with Rogers Sportsnet, and remember that's several um, several levels, uh, different platforms. I'm talking about. The audio on Sportsnet 590, the fan and the fan radio network. I'm talking about uh, the Sportsnet television, obviously, digitally, you know, is, does Dan write blogs? Is he contributing that way? Uh, you know, th- there's a lot there, but I mean, to take a great talent like that and say, uh, you know, the only way I think it would work, Scott, if, if, if someone presented this to me and said, look, you're going to have to make this work. There's no other way. We're not spending money for a crew to go and do the games. That's just the way it is. We're going to suck it up for a year. And I think, by the way, they'll end up changing their mind because the pressure will be too great upon, you know, from everybody. But as it stands now, the only way they could do it is to make the TV games more like radio. By that, I mean less graphics and less stuff for the viewer to see versus just the game, like a stripped down TV version. That way Dan can call the game as if he's calling a radio game. And not have to worry about pointing out stuff on the monitor that the TV audience can see. That's the only way it works. And I would take a really terrific producer and production team to just let Dan and Buck just say, guys, you're doing it on radio. It's a radio. Now, that would work. A radio call, you can just put pictures there. And it would work, it,
0: Scott, it would. But isn't that, Mark, isn't that the opposite of what we believe anyway that TV viewers want? They want now to be bombarded with stats and facts and graphics and gadgets and gizmos. and That, that seems to be the opposite of what everyone has been saying TV viewers want.
3: But the business is changing now. And the other thing is, it's not just TV viewers. Be, well, you're watching it on different devices and streaming it. Here's what I've noticed. The more graphics and and... and um, other such things on the screen besides the action, the more um, smaller it appears, the smaller your device is. too. It's a little bit more difficult to look at. I kind of like that nice, clean look where, you know, the, your entire screen is filled up by the actual field of play or, or whatever. And so, uh, you, know, I, you know, I know this sounds really odd because I'm not really in this business, but I just have a hunch that the way things are going technologically, I think you want a nice, clean picture and maybe people aren't listening as intently because they're watching. Does that make sense?
0: Oh yeah, no, no. I, I think that you could have. I think you could have TV announcers make horrendous mistakes and often get away with it as long as the game that's going on on the screen is enticing enough and intriguing enough. And I'm not suggesting that they are or should, but I think you could get away with a bunch of stuff as long as what you're seeing is, just, is uh, grabbing most of your attention. Baseball, or, or on radio, especially doing sports, that can't happen. I mean, if you say so-and-so caught the ball or hit the ball, whatever, you better be right because everyone's relying on you to have that information and they can't see for themselves.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I get painting the word picture. I totally get it. That's why I say, if you were to just say, God, look, when Joe Bowen went over to do TV on Leaf Games, you think he altered his style of play-by-play? Barely. Joe calls, the, that's the way Joe calls the game. Now the fact the right-hand board. Now he's calling that actual play-by-play. Before television was even invented, I'm telling you exactly what's happening as it's happening. And there are the natural sounds of the ball, bat, you know, skates, the whole thing like that. So I wouldn't have a problem with that if, if that was the commentary because I'm watching it on television. And I'll tell you why. If I leave the TV room and go and do something else, and, and I hear this, Hot shot! Oh! Wow! Holy cow! What a play! I, I'm running back into the other room because I don't know what's going on. But if I hear the announcer go, "Hot shot, deep left field, diving stretch," oh, off the tip of his glove, rolls to the wall, one run scores, two run score. What a play! Now I can hear that. I get what's going on. So Dan and Buck, call it like it's a radio game, and we'll look after the pictures. You're seeing it live. Don't worry about it. You don't need to go to your monitor to see the stats that we have up on the board or whatever. And maybe they'll put fewer stats. That's the only way I can see it working. So the radio listener is listening to a radio call of the game. The description of it. Tugs at the bill of the cap. Looks in for the sign. That whole thing. Showman does it beautifully on radio. Because he's done radio. So just make them do a radio call. I'm okay with that. I can
0: see the pictures. I can see what's going on. Why do you think, what, what's your, I mean, we've heard lots of people offer different opinions on this, but why, baseball in particular, why does baseball work so well with radio?
3: Well, radio was in, um, radio was invented, you know, partly for baseball. Radio was the reason that you had some hours, you know, the games were during the day, you're broadcast during the day. What are we going to run for programming? This, this station is running, you know, I don't know, a, a cooking show. This station is running, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, whatever they were running back in the 30s. And what's this station doing? Oh, this station has the ball game on. So it was a natural fit. Radio was invented for the sport of baseball, the pace of it. Beautiful. Tell some stories, paint a word picture, describe to your audience what's going on. So, I mean, have we lost that? Is that you don't want? If we listen to pod, why do we listen to podcasts? Where we're hearing, you know, sometimes it's sound effects and voices and whatever, but we like to hear something. But yeah, the idea of being at the cottage and sitting at the end of the dock and the Jays game is on. Come on, and I have a personal experience here because when I began my broadcast career, I was working for the Blue Jays radio network and the local station, fourteen thirty at the time. It's now five ninety, and I was on those. Broadcast. I was part of those broadcasts, those early days with Early Win and Tom Cheek. It was wonderful. They, these guys were superstars. Every every game. And back in those days, you know, Scott, maybe 15 Blue Jay games, maybe 20 yep. games
0: a year on TV. Yep. And everything yep.
3: was on radio, and they had lots of affiliates.
0: Well, to you know, I even noticed that today, the Blue Jays played today and uh, Springer, George Springer, I think it was his first game as a Blue Jay spring training game, obviously. But there was no television of the game. And as a result, because there was no TV, there was no radio. There was no simulcast. And, you know, you start to notice that, you know, it's it's not as much. It's not as prevalent. It's not as obvious. It's not as spring training, Mark, used to be to me. Spring training was the giant cauldron of hype. You would, you would just, for, for six weeks, everybody would just get so wound up waiting for the start of the year. Now, you know, not as much TV, not the radio. It, it seems as though we've decided that's not necessary now. I don't know if that's not necessary or, or if we just, there's so much online, we don't need that anymore.
3: Scott, it's ridiculous. When you think that the the guy, Ben Wagner, who used to do play-by-play up until this year when they, I guess they told him last week, hey, by the way. I mean, you're still working for us, but there isn't going to be any radio play by play independent radio. So he's down there. He's 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 from there. I think he lives down there, actually. He's an American. Uh, and so he's got his iPhone and he's taking shots like, you know, 15, 20 second little videos from way far away. Showing George Springer's hit. And I thought to myself, if he's working for Sportsnet and they have the rights and they, and they choose not to broadcast the games, radio or TV, and they've got a guy down there. Why wouldn't they say, look, uh, you know, here's a nice zoom lens for a camera. You know, stick it, you know, put it on a tripod. I mean, you can't do this, really. Put it on a tripod. Give yourself a good location, high high behind home plate, and, and shoot the game. Go ahead. And uh, every time you see a cool highlight, a hit or whatever, just put it on Twitter. Get thousands and thousands of views. It'll get retweeted and retweeted. And people will go, oh, there's George Springer getting a hit. But instead, he's like a 1,000 feet away. So far away, you can't even tell. They look like, uh, like raisins on a marshmallow instead of baseball players on a diamond. Ridiculous.
0: But maybe then, you know, when you mentioned about, you know, just take the highlights and put them on Twitter, maybe the thinking here is ahead of its time, that people don't have the patience now or the interest in sitting around and listening to a game on radio that goes on for three or three and a half hours. If they can see eight Twitter videos of, eight highlights and they can be done in a minute and a half, that's good enough. If you can monetize that and you're, look, and you're the team and you can monetize that and you're Rogers, and, and in the back
3: of your mind, you're saying, look, we're going to come out with an app. You're going to have to have the Blue Jays radio app or the Blue Jays audio app, whatever you want to call it, in order to get the game. That's the only way you can listen to the game. And, he, and even then, if that's the case, they'll, they'll likely run the simulcast." But, but if they can monetize it, see, they may be able to go, you're going to have an independent, you know, radio team, audio only team describing the action for you to listen to, but only off the app and it's however much it is. 18 bucks a year, whatever. You were used to getting the audio for nothing. Now you can choose to take the, the simulcast audio on the radio station or, you know, we'll give you it on the app or it's only available on the app if you want to hear a described play-by-play. So they make money on that. You know, I don't, I don't know that much about, you know, corporate business, but I do know that if you can make money from it and you can save money another way and you want to be good to your stockholders, that's business.
0: Yeah. And and I, I I do think that this may be the future. I I mean, I I, look, I Mark, is there any doubt that other major league organizations are going to be checking out the blue Jays and what's happening this year to see if this is a place where they can save a few bucks, if this works, then, you know, I think I don't think the Blue Jays will be the only team doing it if this works.
3: You know, I think what's going to happen, Scott, and you can record this because I believe that once the listen, like I said, unless they change the way they do the broadcast so that they don't piss off, excuse my language, the radio listener, the audio listener. In other words, Buck and Dan, do a radio game. And let, the, and let us worry about the TV audience. No one's going to not watch. Because they don't have all the, you know, the, because the play-by-play is is, is a radio sounding play-by-play. It's Dan Shulman. but I think what's going to happen is, is that the crowd, the, the fans may just not revolt, but just demand that the Blue Jays put a first-class cl- product out there uh, by not separate by separating their their broadcast by not having it as a simulcast. It, it appears cheap. It does a disservice to the to the listener and the viewer because you're basically compromising both. And, and, and it's tough for the announcer, Matt.
0: So yeah. you know, no, I
3: think what will happen is they're going to say, you know, we made a mistake or we've decided to, and then they'll alter it. Like they might send one person, just one guy, like Vin Scully did games all by himself. What do you need two people? They might find a cheaper way of doing it. Uh, but I think the technology is there where if, one day you're going to just be able to show up with your iPhone, hook up a mic, and say hi, everybody! Welcome to blah 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 Stadium. Hi, I'm so and so here on the Blue Jays Audio Network. Nice to have you along. You can hear, you know, we've I've set they've set up a remote mic behind home plate. The guy engineers it by himself. It's got all the equipment there. You have the software. You put your phone down. You're broadcasting the game. Got your little headset on. Come on. Yeah,
0: no, I I can see that for easy, sure.
3: Right, easy, right? Like really.
0: I can see that for sure, and and, and in fact, I, I part of why I was so confused and, and puzzled why they did this this year is already with COVID, very few of the play-by-play teams were traveling anyway, so they're calling games from home anyway, and if that's the case, well, why not just have a radio crew if you're doing it from home, watching the same way that you're, the TV guys are doing it, but, you know, whatever. it's That is, we, we will see how this thing works out. Before I let you go, I want to go back to that TV, uh, or the... Uh, the newspaper piece from back on March 31, 1985, the one you were referring to. Boy, as, as we're talking, I'm looking at the names that uh, were the main figures. And maybe it's just the age group that I fall into that this was right in my sweet spot. But as you say, CHCH, <laughs> Dick Beddows, Kathy Renwell, Paul Hendrick, Fred Anderton. Uh, CFTO TV, Pat Marsden, Dan Matheson, Joe Tilly, Jerry Dobson, TSN, John Wells, Jim Van Horn, Terry Libel, Michael Landsberg. He's still around. A lot of these guys are, a lot of these people are, uh, global, you, Jim, daddy, Mark Hebsher, Bill Bird, Andrea Carmen, CBC. Here's an irony. CBC back then had fewer people than anyone else. That doesn't happen anymore. Uh, Vic Router and Don Martin, uh, and city, Jim McKenney, Debbie Van Kiekebelt Russ Salzberg, and Mary Garofalo. Boy, that's, uh, those are some names from the past. How about that? Man? Those are some names from the past, and uh, and it didn't even include my favorite sports line personality ever, other than you, of course, and Who other that? than Jim, who's also but the best sign off ever, or at least the end of a, call, of a of a segment or of a report that was done was um, Mitch's area, because his his preposition. Between his last name and the name of the show, dragged out, it got longer. It seemed to get longer and longer. The longer Mitch's area fur sports line, it just and and the longer he worked there, it seemed that he got paid for the length of the fur.
3: <laughs> that's great. Well, I'll be seeing Mitch in the next week or so. I got to mention that to him. That's that's funny.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I think that you should go back and look so at I some old tapes.
3: Like I remember it like this: Mitch's area for
0: sports. See, I always thought it was the longer, I thought the four got dragged out, but again, maybe that's just a recollection of, you know, someone was in high school at the time and I don't know, but, but Hey, whatever it was, his name, I remember his name. So he did something right.
1: <laughs> I'm going to mention
3: that. That's funny, Scott, because I'm going to mention that soon and see him. And uh, yeah, he wasn't on for that long, actually. He wasn't on, he wasn't on for that many years, but he did a like a lot of stuff, but like, he was the daily reporter, you know, Blue Jays, the Jays spring training. Yep. He did motor car racing. You know, there's a lot of sports to cover. When you think about it back then, you're competing with all these other stations. Now it's Sportsnet versus TSN. That's it. There's no local coverage, really. Bubba can only do so much, obviously. You know, right? So you're getting the main. But in those days, it was like, oh, my gosh, you're you're flicking on CHCH. at 20 after 11, maybe, for Bedos. You know, and and the stories from Anderton and from Hendrick and from Kathy Van you know, eleven twenty-five. You got CBLT's sports, right? Eleven thirty sports line. Eleven forty would have been CFTO. Uh, City TV would have been probably around ten o'clock or ten thirty back in those days.
0: Uh, so there was a real
3: you know battle going on. You
0: know, yeah. Those they were they were days that, uh, as I say, you, you didn't all the names that I mentioned. There were a lot of people probably listening. And went, oh, I remember that. I mean, uh, names that we haven't heard in years. Some of them. Some of them are very fresh still and still around, but haven't heard in years. But boy, we still if you were in if you were of that era, if you watch TV back then, I and you were into sports, I'm pretty sure you would have remembered many of those names. And, and you look you look exactly the same in this photo. You and and I mean Taddy, Taddy has been in one of the Han Solo cryogenic freezing compartments or something. I don't know. He looks exactly the same as he did. <laughs> I don't know that no, carbon no, whatever. Clean living, I guess, my friend. There you go. Mark Hebsher, always appreciate having you on. Thanks for doing this. And buy thanks his by book, by the best. way. Tell, tell us the name of your book again. Tell us one more time so people can go buy it.
3: Oh, yeah. The book's called The Greatest Athlete You've Never Heard Of. And, you know, before, and thanks for the article in the aspect, too, but before the pandemic, like, we were ready to go on this, you know, this big tour. The Olympics were coming in 2020, and this, whole who's the first Canadian? And it was a whole big deal. And, like, man, that it, it was so long ago now. That, that the idea was put to bed of going on a book tour and uh, being able to talk to people about it and tell people about it, that I think in that in that year, I've, I've posted more um, interesting historical stuff and read more interesting stuff from people online because we have the time to do it and we're, we're stuck at home. I've dug out some articles, really interesting articles that I kept, like, you know, dusted off old newspaper articles, clippings and stuff like that. Just Just how different the industry is, but just also how how people are uncovering interesting stuff and putting it out there on social media.
0: It's the greatest cool. athlete you've never heard of. Go look it up. It's online. You can find it. You can buy one. I bet if uh, I bet if you email Mark, he'll even send you an autographed copy. Yeah,
3: absolutely. More than happy to. Mark Hebsher at gmail.com.
0: Mark, always appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Okay, buddy. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.